Bite Size Birthday Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, October 16th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Lucy Stanton. She was born on this day in 1831. Slavery is the combination of all crime. It is war. That sentence was written and spoken in an 1850 speech by Lucy Stanton called A Plea for the Oppressed. I want to say that amazing line one more time. Slavery is the combination of all crime. It is war. There is no crime as horrific as enslavement, as it is the only crime which is a combination of every single personal crime in the penal code. Kidnap, murder, assault and battery, rape, statutory rape, child abuse, child labor. Yet, because the practice of slavery itself was not considered a crime at the time, the crimes that were committed under its umbrella were sanctioned and even sponsored by the U.S. government. Lucy was christened in the quicksand of racism. Even though she was born in the free state of Ohio, she was no stranger to enslavement, as countless enslaved persons passed through the state and even her own home throughout her childhood. Lucy was born to Samuel and Margaret, both of mixed ancestry. When Lucy was 18 months old, she walked to the store with her father to buy a china pitcher. After buying the pitcher, they headed back home, and suddenly Samuel dropped dead beside his child, leaving the toddler alone and terrified. When Lucy and the china pitcher were brought home, Margaret became inconsolably hysterical. Margaret managed to pull it together, and she ended up marrying Samuel's business partner, John Brown, and they went on to have four more children. Lucy's stepfather, John Brown, was a bit of a local legend, as he was a hardcore abolitionist and was extremely active in the Underground Railroad in Cleveland. Like his wife's deceased husband, he had also been born free in the South and wisely chose to relocate to Ohio as a teenager. John was a very intelligent and successful man, and he ended up becoming the richest black man in the city. Lucy recalled that growing up in her home, there were sometimes upwards of 13 runaway enslaved people hiding out there. Lucy and her siblings would go out to collect donations to give to the escaped people to aid them in their journey. John was also an ardent proponent of African-American education, and he founded the Cleveland Free School for Children of Color, which Lucy attended. He did so because, despite being very wealthy and living in an almost entirely white neighborhood, his children were not allowed to attend the schools in town due to an 1829 law banning black kids from state-supported schools in Ohio. So John and a number of other citizens got together, pooling their resources, and they built the first school for black children in Cleveland. In 1846, Lucy enrolled at Oberlin College in Oberlin, Ohio, about 55 miles southwest of Cleveland. Lucy loved all of the activities that came with college life, and as a senior, she was named the president of the very prestigious Ladies Literary Society. I'm going to cover something real quick here on Oberlin College that we also went over in our September 23rd episode on Mary Church Terrell, who also went to Oberlin College. So Oberlin was a very progressive college because it was the first in the country to accept women and people of color, but it still had gender-based tracks for degrees. That meant that if you were a woman, you would get a lighter caseload, which did not include math or foreign language. And if you were a man, you would have a full caseload with all of these extra classes. So when Lucy was given her literary degree, they only gave out bachelor's degrees to men. She became the first woman of color to complete a degree in the U.S., 
So she completed the daintily titled Ladies Literary Course in 1849, and she was asked to speak at the commencement ceremony of 1850. And it was there that she gave the rousing a plea for the oppressed speech. And this impassioned presentation was inspired by the recently passed Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. Also known as the Bloodhound Bill, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 stated that all escaped persons had to be returned to their masters in the South, and that even people in free states were responsible for returning any runaway enslaved people that they came across. Probably one of the darkest and grossest things the U.S. government has ever done, and it's done some pretty gross stuff. So Lucy uses the speech to not only share her support for abolition, but she implores her audience, especially the women, to try and empathize with the enslaved and the oppressed person and to become abolitionists. At the end of the speech, a white man stood up in the audience and addressed the crowd. He reminded everyone there that only 20 years before, the question of whether or not to admit black people was before the board of trustees, and some said that doing so would ruin the institution. He then said, the peace to which you have just listened shall decide upon the credibility of the prophecy. And at that, the no applause rule was broken by everyone in the audience and the house just came down. So Lucy's speech would go on to be reprinted in many papers and journals and periodicals of the day. Since there was pretty much no career paths for a woman of color, or really anyone of color, with any sort of education aside from teaching... And I'm not trying to insinuate that any of the people that we cover on this show that got degrees and went into teaching did so because they didn't want to. They probably did want to be teachers, but there just wasn't any other options. It didn't matter if you had five degrees from Harvard. If you were black, the most that you could aspire to was maybe being a principal of a segregated high school. That was it. So Lucy takes a job as the principal of a free school in Columbus, Ohio. In 1852, she marries another Oberlin graduate named William Howard Day, and they moved to Cleveland, and William became a librarian as well as the editor of Cleveland's first abolitionist newspaper called The Alienated America. One of Lucy's short stories called Charles and Clara Hayes was published in it in 1854, and this piece is considered to be the first work of published fiction by a woman of color. Two years later, the two of them moved to Buxton, Canada to teach runaway enslaved people. And in 1858, Lucy gave birth to their daughter, Florence. A year later, William up and abandoned his wife and child and moved to England, requesting a divorce after he settled there. With a toddler to care for and no job, Lucy was forced to take a job as a seamstress. Thankfully, her ongoing activism led her to the Cleveland Freedmen's Aid Society, which asked her to go to the South to teach recently released enslaved persons. She taught in Georgia in 1866 and was then sent to Mississippi. And while she was there, she finally managed to get her divorce from William in 1872. Getting a divorce in those days was almost impossible when one party had vanished somewhere in a foreign country. In 1878, Lucy was remarried to Levi Sessions, and they moved to Tennessee, and Lucy immersed herself in her civil and women's rights work. She would go on to work with Christian temperance groups and church charities and civil rights organizations for her remaining years. In the early 1900s, her health began to fade. By early 1910, she was bedridden with pneumonia, ongoing flus, and according to her daughter, an ailment called arsnia. I couldn't find any disease by that name, but judging by the prefix, it's probably bone or joint related, maybe even an early alternate spelling or pronunciation of arthritis. So after being in bed for 38 days, Lucy passed away on February 18th at 4 a.m. at the age of 78. My sources today were Wikipedia, Black Past, 
Case Western Reserve University, Jesse Carney Smith's 1992 Notable Black American Woman Volume 2, Lucy Stanton's 1850 speech, A Plea for the Oppressed, the London Anti-Slavery Research Project, and the Oberlin College Archives. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to a totally homemade podcast. And if you're feeling social, you can follow Humans in History on Instagram at humans underscore in underscore history. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Lucy Stanton. Please join us tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of musical education pioneer Shinichi Suzuki. See you then.